Amen. We'll turn in your Bibles this morning. We're going to go over uh, to the book of Acts, the 17th chapter of Acts. We're going to begin there. And my title this morning is A Biblical View of Patriotism. You know, that's a controversial subject. You know, some people would come here and be appalled that we've got an American flag. And, of course, we've got the Christian flag over here. And some people, I've seen people just really get bent out of shape and, and say, that, you know, there's no place for a flag in church. And, and we, don't, we don't bow down. We don't worship our nation. And, and I know that. And we, under, we understand all that. And, uh, but I want to, you know, I, I went to the Bible and I went to some uh, different things, sources, and really studied out some things about patriotism. And patriotism is an interesting thing. And it has arisen out of a biblical concept and a biblical view uh, of what God has done with nations. And it's really about nationhood and what are nations and did God create them. And, you know, we, we're so blessed uh, that we have a Christian nation. And today, of course, is 4th of July weekend. It's the 5th, but we still are in that celebration mode. And really, you look and we celebrate the independence from a backslidden, very, very backslidden, very oppressive European uh, nations that really were persecuting and even martyring a lot of the true Christians. The state church had asserted itself on the true ecclesia and had began to take out those who were true believers and bring great persecution against them. And in so doing, the uh, those who were part of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, and those who were all part of that movement in that era, came together, made a decision to come to America and start a Christian nation. And since that founding, there's been no less than 70 Supreme Court declarations that the United States of America is a Christian nation. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not. It was a Christian nation in its founding, and it's, it's Christian in its documents. Uh, the Ten Commandments are in our uh, Supreme Court. Moses's. Uh, bust is on the Supreme Court wall, and we were, we were founded a Christian. Are we getting away from that? Are we backslidden? Yes, we are moving away. Yes, we are backslidden. Yes, there's trouble in River City, so to speak. But let's look at the definition of patriotism. Let's bow our head, and then, then we'll, we'll jump in. And, and we're, if you've got your Bibles open to Acts, the 17th chapter, verses 26 and 27. But we're going to go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you for the Word of God. Father, we thank you that no matter what the subject is, we can look into your Word, and you can bring definition and understanding. Father, give clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit to speak as your oracle today concerning why there is patriotism and why there are nations. Father, I thank you today, and Lord, I ask that each one here would have ears to hear also, hearts to receive and a will to be doers of the word. But Father, bring revelation and understanding, Father, to us as to why you created nations. And we give you all the praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. And nations go through metamorphosis, met nations come and go, nations rise and fall, nations are, become Christian and they become apostate. And we look at the world history uh, and, and of Christendom's rise and fall in different nations and what takes place, and it's a very interesting thing. And Acts, the 17th chapter, tells us that God is the creator of nations. <clears throat> Excuse me, and look there, we'll begin in verse 26 and verse 27. And it says, And, hath, and God hath made... Of common blood, all nations, talking about God, God has done this, and hath made of one blood all nations. One blood, that's Adam and Eve. That's Noah, you know, before the, the you know, 
the flood, there was Noah, who goes back to Adam and Eve, and, and you know, when, when the flood, they start all over again. And after that is when the nations actually were born. It was after the flood of Noah. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face, on all the face of the earth. And has determined the times before appointed, knows these predestined plans for nations, before appointed and hath bounds of their habitation. Wow. Now, again, underline nations in verse 26. We're talking about nations. We're talking about God had a plan for nations. That it was in his divine and, uh, you know, wise understanding will to create nations. And it's made of one blood, all nations, of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. You could say this, that God has formed the nations, their time in history, and even their boundaries. In other words, when they're going to be and where they're going to be. Because, you know, nations come and go. Constitutions rise and fall. You know, we've got the longest standing constitution on planet Earth. We've had a constitution for 20, for, excuse me, 200 years. It's the longest standing, most successful constitution of any nation because that constitution was built on the Word of God. There's 3,154 quotes about our Constitution. Over 34% of those quotes come straight from the Bible. That means there's over a th- between 1,000 and 1,500 verses that our Constitution is built upon. When we obey our Constitution, we are obeying the principles of the Bible. And how many of you know that's what makes things work? Amen. Well, I don't know what's going on there, but forgive me for making those terrible noises, but... You know, as we look at that, we can understand that God sovereignly had a plan for America to come into existence. And one of the greatest, and the founders said, one of the greatest creations and one of the most divine things that have ever happened was the creation of our Constitution. And it was biblically formed and framed, and, it was, and it's still to this day uh, one of the most amazing things. And now let's look at verse 27. And that they should seek the Lord. He formed these nations. Now think about this. He formed all the nations, and he formed them in the time that he decided, with the boundaries that he decides, that they should seek the Lord. In other words, it has something to do with salvation. The formation of nations has something to do with people being saved and seeking the Lord. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So there is something about the formation of nations that causes other people to be saved. How many of you know America, because of the type of nation that was built on God's word and had unprecedented prosperity such as no one else in the world, and yet between 85 and 95% of all missionary work is sent forth from and funded by the United States of America? I believe the sole reason why God created the United States of America is to take the gospel to the rest of the world. I believe that. Now he said, well, you know, we got so much sin and we're so backslidden, we're so wicked and there's so many bad things in our country. Now, well, you ought to go live in one of the other countries. Let me tell you what, I've been in Africa. I've been in the third poorest country in Africa, Burkina Faso. Been in the capital city, Ouagadougou. What a, what a name, Ouagadougou. And had 
things that look like, you ever, ever, anybody ever been to a landfill in America? Anybody ever been to the landfill? What, what a great sight in America, going to the landfill, you know. If you've been to the landfill, think of a landfill for as far as the eyes can see, every direction. And people living in and amongst and underneath the trash. Starving with nothing. Pathetic, sick, maimed, sick people for as far as you can see. And drive and drive and drive. And it's just people's garbage. And they're using it to live in eat out of, and furnish their life. I've been to some of the poorest places on planet Earth. And let me tell you something. I am thankful and proud that our founders built this nation on the Word of God. And, I'm, and I wouldn't trade living here for any other place on planet Earth. We're blessed. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 32.8. And, and I think, that, excuse me, when the writer of the book of Acts as Luke wrote that, that he was thinking about Deuteronomy 32. Undoubtedly, this is where his quote came from because we see the same idea really communicated back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, we're going to read 32, verse 8. It says, And when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam and he set the bounds. Everybody say, set the bounds. There's that setting the boundaries again. God makes boundaries. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. In other words, God had plans for nations, even when the, among the children of Israel. And, and there were certain ones of the tribes of Israel, there are certain ones of the sons of Noah that later on go on and become nations. And it was spoken of in Genesis 10 about the sons of Noah. And then later it talks about it in different places about the sons of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and how they became nations, and, and it's an amazing thing. And so God forms nations, and he has plans for nations. He knows where he's going to place those nations geographically and their boundaries. He knows the time in history where he's going to raise up that nation and let it uh, then decline and go away. And so when it's a godly nation, I believe patriotism is a good thing. And I really say this in, in a qualified way, that it's dependent and contingent upon your nation to the degree that you would show patriotism. If it's a Christian nation, I believe it's good. Let me read out of Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the definition of patriotism. It says, a love for one's country, the passion which aims to serve one's country, either in defending it from invasion or protecting its rights and maintaining its laws, and institutions in vigor and purity. Patriotism is the characteristic of good citizens, the noblest passion that animates a man in the character of a citizen. In other words, it's the, it's, it's the best thing that you can be as far as a citizen. Now, not to be confused with nationalism. Now, nationalism is, what I believe, a perverted form of patriotism, or nationalism is when patriotism goes awry. I believe nationalism is when it's not Christian, it's not God's plan, and it's not the way that God meant it to be, because it has some, it really is patriotism, but gone into a perverted, pride-filled uh, way of thinking. For instance, nationalism's definition is the spirit or aspirations common to a whole nation. Now, we understand that. Devotion and loyalty to one's own country, patriotism. But here's the other definition of nationalism, which I think, when it goes bad, is excessive patriotism, chauvinism, or a 
But I'm going to add to that pride. And, you know, we saw that with Adolf Hitler and Arianism, didn't we? And, and white supremacy and Arianism and su- supremacy and all these things, where it became excessive, it became uh, chauvinistic, it became perverted, it became filled with pride, it became wicked and filled uh, with uh, narcissism and, and like we're the best and we've got to rule the world and, and all these different things. How many of you know that's, that, that doesn't line up with God's word? Amen. And the desire for national advancement or political independence, that's okay. But the policy or doctrine of asserting the interest of one's own nation viewed as separate from the interests of other nations or the common interests of all nations. And I believe that our founders came to form a nation where they could worship God. You look at the Declaration of Independence and the far the majority of the grievances in the Declaration of Independence of those 17 declarations, far more than taxation or any other issue, was religious liberty. In other words, America was formed so people could come and worship God and evangelize and bring the gospel to the world. Can I get an amen? So there's others. It's an idiom or trait peculiar to a nation of movement as the arts based upon folk and idioms and history and aspirations and so on. There's a lot of definitions for nationalism, but we're talking about patriotism today. We're not talking about patriotism gone sour or gone proud or arrogant or overly assertive and filled with ambition to take from others and exalt yourself above others. We're not talking about that. And that does exist. And I believe that's patriotism gone awry. So I want to make that distinction between the two. You know, really, when God and when Israel was godly, they were a blessed nation. But when they rejected Christ in uh, the time of Jesus, it wasn't very long, and Jesus said, this place, this temple is going to be tore down. And Israel was a nation for many years, and then came Christ, and they rejected Christ. And then for 2,500 years after the complete annihilation of the temple and the complete murdering of hundreds of thousands of Jews, and they went into captivity, and they were dispersed, and they were destroyed, and they destroyed everything in the temple. They destroyed all their culture, and they forced them into other countries, and they no longer were a nation for 2,500 years. But how many of you know that God formed Israel as a nation? And he said that they were to be a blessing to the rest of the world, and they didn't follow after God's plan and they were backslidden, and they did not accept Jesus, who fulfilled all the Old Testament scriptures, and they became self-absorbed in their religion, and before long, they were destroyed, and they weren't a nation. where God created that nation, he let that nation arise, and it had great peaks where David was king, and, and, and there was great, wonderful things, and, and national Israel did great, wonderful things, and then because they didn't follow on with God, and they rejected Christ as the Savior. They were destroyed as a nation and for 2,500 years. But the good news is this, that in 1948, God allowed them to become a nation again. And we can see the last days, it says that there's going to be a time of tribulation. There's going to be a rapture. There's going to be all these things. There's going to be 25, how many? 66,000 Jewish evangelists. How many is it? Anybody remember? 44,000 Jewish evangelists are going to rise up. There's going to be a great revival among the Jews. They're going to receive their Savior. And I believe that that's because, as we see, God is forming a nation. And and nations form and die according to whether they are obeying the mandate that God gives them. When they were doing what God said, they were a great nation. 
when they rejected the Savior and, and, and did not do it, God says he allowed them to cease to be a nation. And I believe the only reason why he's allowed them to become a nation again after 25 years and not 2,500 years of not being a nation, which is amazing, which has never been done before in any people in the human race, it's because they're going to become obedient again and there's going to be revival and they're going to be a witness to the whole earth. And I believe in the, the, the prophecies about Gog and Magog and the battle when Russia comes down in an alliance with Iran and China and tries to destroy Israel and they are going to defeat them. How many of you know people are going to say, that has to be God. The God of I, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel must still live. And he's going to let that nation... You know, no person can speak to the world on the national geopolitical scale, no single person, no single family, no single church can speak to the world like what God will put on display with an entire nation. God has callings on individuals' lives. God has callings on families' lives. God's got callings on certain churches, but God's got callings for certain nations. It's very profound. And the simpleton does not see it, but it's very clear in the scriptures. And because of their pride and because of what they, they did, they backslid. And I believe that individuals, families, churches, nations, all can be idols and instruments of their own destruction. And you can be proud about who you are. You can be proud about your family. You can be, you can be proud about your church. And you can be proud about your nation. You know what? God will show you just how great you really are. He'll take his hand off you, and he will let you be humbled if you're filled with pride. He'll do that to you as an individual. He'll do that to you as a family. He'll do that to us as a nation. The minute we get to think we don't need God, and we can legislate gay marriage, and we can kill 60 million babies, and, and we don't have to obey the word of God and make fun of the scriptures and the preachers and come against everything that's Christian, and we get so full of pride we don't think we need God or we think we know more than God, Guess what? God will allow us to be humbled. And we need to get back to God. I don't care if it's an individual, family, church, or nation. Uh, it can be used for the wrong thing. You know, your, how many of you know your church can become an idol? Our church is just a little better than everybody else's. Or, or our family, you know, we're, I'm just, you know, man, I'm God's gift. To, you know, you know. How many of you know people get that way? How many of you know it's really ugly? God, it's not pleasing to God. God wants us to stay humble, and God will exalt us, amen? I just soon be humble, let God exalt me. Just stay humble. God can exalt you far better than you can exalt yourself anyway. Amen. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. See, God created nations, just like he creates individuals, like he creates families, just like he creates churches, and he puts them into play, and they begin to prosper, and, and things begin to happen. And we can see that all these things are a creation of God. Genesis 12, uh, verses 2 and 3. And it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. I will make thee a great nation. God will make a nation. Can I get an Amen. The nations come from families. All the nations of the world came from the, the, the sons of Noah. 
and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Everybody say, and thou shalt be a blessing. See, in Genesis 22, the United States used to be a blessing in so many ways. Genesis 22, 17, we're talking about 4th of July, about America becoming a nation. Genesis 22, 17 through 18, look what it says here. Another interesting thing. And he says that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sands which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of, thy, of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations, everybody say all the nations, of the earth shall be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. A nation can cause other nations to be blessed when we obey God's voice. America used to obey God's voice, and because we as a nation obeyed with our laws and our leaders, and that's how you make Jesus, Lord of a nation, because God will judge nations one day. The separating of the sheep and the goat is not talking about individuals. It's talking about nations, if you read the right context. And God does uh, judge nations. And we can see that when a nation obeys God, they can be a blessing to all other nations. Somebody say amen. It's very important that we understand that. How... God formed the nations is a very interesting thing. Turn with me over to Genesis. And we're going to go from just, I'm going to allude to chapter 6 and 7. We all know that Noah's flood, that the flood came, and the flood is a type of the, you know, judgment that will come in the last days, except it won't be by, by water, it'll be by fire, it says in Peter. But the Bible says the world will be judged one day. The Bible says the world will burn up with fire. And what it describes is very much like a nuclear holocaust. And the Bible says that will be the judgment that will come upon the world in, in, in a certain day. And we can see that in that day, the world was judged. It became very wicked, thought only on evil continually. They ate like animals. They drank to drunkenness. They married anything and everything. Gay marriage was allowed. We know that. Historical sources show us that. And we know that because of that, uh, there was a great flood that came. And God divided up the nations. And in Genesis 6 and 7, it talks about the flood. It talks about how the waters broke up from the center of the earth. The aquifers just burst. I mean, they never had rain before. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that there was a mist that came in and watered all the plants. That a fog moved in every day and moved out every day. And it was just a perfect balance. And there was a canopy of water around the earth. And the earth was filled with water from the inside and this canopy. And there was steam and there was a perfect balance of oxygen, there was a perfect balance of moisture, and then man sinned. Just like how many of you know that when Adam sinned, God says that the weeds are going to come up, and the ground is cursed, and what used to be a beautiful garden, now you're going to have to, with the sweat of your brow, fight off weeds for the rest of your life. How many of you know man's sin affects the physical world? And it says, if my people, which are called by my name, will uh, turn from their wicked ways and repent and come back to God, they'll heal the land. And that's not talking about the name, it's talking about the physical land. Man's sin affects the world. It says the whole of creation is like giving forth, and it's trembling, and it's like giving forth a baby and, and, and until the sons of God be revealed. In other words, our sin affects, and man's sin affected the world and all of a sudden, boom, the aquifers exploded. Boom, it didn't rain. It says the water just fell down from that canopy that was broken that was around the earth. Science proves this. And there was a flood. 
Some people say, well, there's no evidence of a flood. Oh, that's why there's 85% of the earth is covered with water, because there's no evidence of a flood. I think, can you think right? Uh, everywhere we look, we're surrounded with water, the Pacific, the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, and 85% of the world's covered with water. You don't think there was a flood? And, the, and you look at the plates, and you look, and if you'll take an outline, do this with your pencil sometime, and you go around the continents of the world, you go North America, you go South America, you go Europe, you go Australia, you go all the continents of the world, and if you push them all together, how many of you know they would fit together perfectly like a puzzle? Anybody ever notice that? Well, that's because when the earth broke open, it was earthquakes, and water came out. And the boundaries were set. Everybody say, God sets the boundaries. See, we saw that in Acts 17. We saw that back in, Gen- back in Deuteronomy where it says that God forms the nations. He preordains the times they're going to come into existence. And he even preordains the boundaries that we were going to be. And when he broke up the earth and the plate, te- how many of you know what plate tectonics are? That's what causes earthquakes. And the plates moved. I can't imagine. I'll tell you, being inside that, that Noah's Ark must have been quite a scary thing. Hearing the earth breaking open, feeling the earthquakes, seeing the water just pouring down on you and shooting up from, from the center of the earth. I'll tell you what, there had to be some scared people on that day. And if they didn't understand why he built that, I'll guarantee in two seconds they understood why he built that thing. And that they were in trouble. Because they had not helped build it. And they had not heeded his preaching. There's going to be a lot of people today who don't don't help build the church and don't heed the preaching. They're going to suddenly, one day, when the nuclear warheads are, are flying overhead, know that they're in trouble. Well, Pastor Bill, you you like to preach about prosperity and blessing. What's gotten in, you know, what's going on? Let me tell you something. We're living in a time where we need to be warned of what day we're living in. We're living in the days of Noah. We're living in the days of Lot. We're living in that time that the Bible describes very, very, uh, how can I say, specifically. And we can see that the continents were broken up. Then let me show you a second time where uh, it says that the formation of boundaries took place. Genesis 11. How many of you know it says, and the whole earth was of one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt in. And they said to one another, go to, let us make brick and burn thoroughly. And they made brick for stone and slime for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city, a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name. Is that pride? Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to be scattered. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the, this is the Tower of Babel, which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language. And this that they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. And go, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build 
the city. In other words, they quit building. He said that they got so in unity, and they so didn't want to be scattered, and they so didn't want to be broken up into nations, and they wanted to come together. They wanted to form an occult religion. They wanted to have a man, a religion by man's works. They're going to reach to heaven, and God says, if I let them do it, uh, there's nothing that will stop their religious ambition and uh, I've got to go down and confuse the languages. And when they confused the languages, all these people that spoke the same came over here and, and communicated and formed a nation. And then all the people that could speak the same came over here and, and they formed a communication and a nation. And God divided up into nations linguistically. Everybody say linguistically and geographically. God divided up men on purpose and he set the boundaries and it was a preordained time. And we can see, go to Genesis 10. You're saying, well, that contradicts Genesis 10. They already spoke in different languages. Look, Pastor Bill, look what it says in Genesis 10. Now, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah. After that flood, Noah's sons come out of that ark, and God says, Go, you're going to be the nations of the earth. Shem and Ham and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood, and the sons Japheth. Gomer, and Magog, and Medei, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiraz, and the sons of Gomer, and Ashkenaz, and Riphath, and I can't even know how to pronounce some of these, and Togarmah, and the sons of Java, and Elashah, and Tarshish, and Kittim, and Dodeinim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. But Pastor Bill, they had divided tongues. They'd already formed nations in chapter 10. And then in verse 11, it says they all spoke the same and God had to divide their tongues. Well, one thing you've got to understand about biblical interpretation. In Hebrew literature, they don't do everything chronologically. How many of you know when you go through chapters 1 through 5 in Genesis, how many of you know not all that is chronological either? Anybody who studies the Bible and reads it after scholarly commentaries and understands the reference books that teaches you how to study the Bible, you find out in Jewish literature they don't go chronologically, but they go thematically. And the theme was, is in these two chapters, God is teaching us that he broke up this world into different nations. And in the chapter 11 was the microcosm of how that happened between verse 4 and 5 of chapter 10. So if you want to know what happened between verse 4 and verse 5 in chapter 10, you just read that first nine verses in chapter 11, and it tells you when they got different languages. Because you look there in chapter 5, it says they got different languages. When did that happen? And you're scratching your head wondering, but oh, good, chapter 11 tells me how that happened. It was the Tower of Babel. So we know that God did that. And we can see that there was different uh, tongues and different... Uh, nationalities formed out of that, and God created, you know, that was God's will. So there was a linguistic confusion that created another nation, and they became, because they were wicked, and they were centralized, and they didn't want to be spread, and they wanted to be one. How many of you know there's a spirit today that wants globalism to take over? How many of you know the Antichrist, the Bible, if you study your Bibles, you'll find out that the Antichrist wants to have one world government, he wants to have one world religion, and he, wants, and he wants to have one world currency and economic system. 
and there's already, they're already starting to put the mark of the beast. And they're using it just because, well, you know, we need to do this because, uh, you know, we have a lot of people coming in, aliens, illegal aliens coming in, and we need some way to prove that you're really an American citizen, and, and we got some way we need to track if your child gets lost, and, and the best way we can do that is we put a little chip under you, and it gives all your information, all your financial information, your credit score probably, probably uh, your, your, your name, your address, a picture of your, your you know, your... Uh, fingerprint, and, and we want all that information accessible, and, and it's all just for your good. But, you know, the Bible says there'll be a mark, and it's called the mark of the beast, and they'll put it in your right hand or they'll put it on your forehead. Well, why would they put it in your forehead? Because some people don't have a right hand. They got cut off or amputated. So, you know what? The Bible is being fulfilled today because we're seeing that chip. They already do it in pets. They already got all the information of your pet and the owner in case you lose your dog and you can't find him. All they got to do is get on that GPS gizmo and find out, well, your dog, dog's clear over on the other side of town on 1st and, uh, you know, Smith Street. Excuse me. And we can go find him for you. And, you know, we ought to use this for people. And, and you know, things are moving in that direction. And there's a, there's a push for globalism. How many of you know there's a great push for globalism? We live in a global economy now. Well, we live in a global world, and we got to accept multiculturalism and, and all these things. And, and it's to water down and to, to take away what God has formed into nations. Because you know what? Just like God forms individuals and churches, how, how, what would you think if, you know, and the same thing you see happen in the church. And Gallup, you know, the guy that does the Gallup polls, he says, we don't need the church local anymore. We don't need local churches. You just Everybody is in the body of Christ. We're just one big Christian family, and it really doesn't need to be broke up into churches anymore. More, and it's and it's the same thing. It's almost like a globalization. What they're trying to do with nations, there's certain evil forces trying to do that in the church. Can I get an amen, somebody? Well, they also want to take their kids away from you. And in the public schools, and this is a global idea, that parents really don't know what's best for their kids anymore. And you know what? We need to take away the authority of the parents because parents, 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 they're bad parents. We don't want parents raising the kids anymore. We want the public school that will teach them about homosexuality. We want the public school who won't teach them our Christian history anymore and just teach about progressivism and, and liberal ideologies and Marxism. And we, we, don't, we don't want the family anymore. We don't want parents anymore. We want to just make kids just members of the global community. These old-fashioned ideas of family. Why would we want to let families raise kids? We need to indoctrinate them in the higher understandings of globalism. We, why would you want to be in a local church anymore and be, you know, obey your pastor and all this old-fashioned stuff and hear him preach on Sunday mornings? Gosh, you can just go learn on your own, have your own Bible study in your basement and, and you know, do your own you know, prayer time and and get, do away with the church. Do away with the family. Do away with nations. We just, we want to, glo- how many of you know that comes directly from the spirit of Antichrist? And it's satanic and it's as unbiblical as it can be. And yet people are pushing it like it's gospel. And it's 100% wrong. You know, we need to be able to recognize and be wise in these last days that we're living in. And see, they became wicked and centralized in their government. And why does, God not want, why does God want to dilute or water down centralized power or everybody under one government, this world government? Everybody needs to be under one government in the world. We want a global government. We want everybody to come together. Oh, it sounds like a nice 1960s hippie song. Let's all come together. Smoke pot or whatever, you know. 
Sounds so good. Sounds so pious. Oh, let's come. No, God divided it up for a reason. It's like God divides family up for a reason. God has different local churches for a reason because he's got an assignment for each and every one of them, and it's different. Why does God want to dilute and water down centralized power and human government? Why did he take their language and divide it all up? God decentralized the one world government into nations because of the need for checks and balances also. No fallen human being can handle that much power because when you have a one world government, that means you're going to have, to one world, have a one world leader and that's what the Antichrist wants. That's what Alexander the Great wanted. That's what Adolf Hitler wanted. Can I get an Amen. And all the communist dictators want. They want to be numero uno, we in complete control of your life. And when you have that, and you have this centralized government, with fall, no fallen human being can handle that much authority. How many of you know fallen man is wicked? You know, it's a good thing the U.S., there was a U.S. of A. had power to stop Hitler as an outsider. You know, Adolf Hitler wanted to take over the whole world. He took over nation after nation after nation, and he wasn't going to stop. He was going to take the whole thing, and everybody was going to have to bow to him. But thank God the world was divided up into nations, and our nation had a calling. Our nation had a purpose, and we went in there, and we stopped him from being a world dictator because he was a, a type of antichrist. Anybody getting anything out of this today? No fallen being has the power to handle that much, has the ability to handle that much power. The Antichrist wants a one world government, economic, and religious system so he can make himself God. And I'll tell you what, worldwide power is reserved for one and only one person, and only one person is holy enough to handle it, and that is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And he will be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And he will be the Lord of Glory that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he is the only one holy enough and pure enough who gave his life to have that much power and authority over the nations. Can I get an amen? You know, he says that even in the eternal state, the rewards, will, some will be put over five cities and others who are faithful will be put over ten cities. How many know the Bible says even in the eternal state there will be nations? That's very interesting. It says that the healing, that the tree of life, that the leaves that come off it will be for the healing of the nations in the eternal state. Can I get an amen? There will be nations forever. It's God's plan. It's God's structure. It's God's way. But the key is, are we going to be a godly nation and be able to maintain, or will we apostate and then he'll allow our nation? Because you know, our nation isn't mentioned in the book of Revelation. Our nation isn't mentioned in the end times. Our nation is not mentioned in the book of Ezekiel. Our nation is not mentioned in the book of Daniel. That's kind of scary to me. How about you? Because the Bible tells us how everything will end up. But if our nation goes away from God, like many other nations, it'll come and go. See, look what it says in Psalms 33, 12. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Did you know nations can be blessed? Proverbs 14, verses 3 and 4, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Nations have purposes in God's plan and order. Israel was God's idea. It was God's plan to bless the world and bring salvation. So there are nations, there's blessed and exalted nations. Let me say it again. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, so we can be blessed. It says, Righteousness exalts a nation, 
That means we can be exalted, we can be righteous and exalted, and we can be blessed. So righteous, exalted, blessed nations can exist on the basis of how they choose. How many of you know that, exalt, that righteous exalts a nation and blesses a nation is God's Lord? How do you make Jesus the Lord over a nation? You know, I know how to get born again. I know how to make Jesus my Lord. I know how to lead people in becoming Christians and making Jesus their Lord. But how does a nation make Jesus Lord? Blessed is the nation, not the individual. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. How does a nation make Jesus Lord? You ever wondered about that? Why does God come and judge nations? Well, nations make Jesus Lord by the way they choose their leaders and choose their laws. See, well, I'm, I'm just happy with this, this little old me. I'm blessed. I, Jesus is my Lord, and I'm going to heaven, and who cares about anybody else? I don't care. I don't give a rip about anything else. Well, maybe I, I kind of care maybe about my family. Us four, no more. I mean, that type of selfishness undermines everything. We should care about ourselves. We should care about our family. We should care about our church. We should care about the nation that we're living in. We should want Jesus to be the Lord over myself. I want Jesus to be Lord over my kids. I want Jesus to be Lord over my church. I want Jesus to be Lord over my nation that I'm living in. Because I want to live in a blessed nation. I want to live in an exalted nation. And the Bible says that we can have that. Well, how, how do we get Jesus to be Lord in our name? Well, how did you get Jesus to be Lord in your life? How did you get Jesus to be Lord in your life? Well, let me see. Now, I was a lost sinner one day, and I sat on my throne, and I made all my decisions, and I lived by my law, and my law was this, the law of me first and you second. How many of you know when you're a heathen and you're lost, that's your law? How many of you know in the front of the satanic Bible says, do as thou will, for that is the whole of the law. That's satanic philosophy. That's on the front of every satanic Bible. Do as thou, you'd think, oh, kill babies, drink blood, and have sacrifices to the devil. No, it doesn't say anything like that in the satanic Bible. It says, do as you, in other words, it just instructs you to be selfish. And selfishness is the granddaddy of all other sins that eventually grow in wickedness until they're able to kill babies and make sacrifices to the devil and drink blood. But it starts with selfishness. Come on, somebody, say amen. So as a heathen, before I got saved, my law was do as I will. My law is me first, you second. That's my law. And I'm going to be in control of my life, and I'm sitting on my own throne of my life. Well, you know what happens to happen when you make Jesus Lord of your life? You have to have a new leader and skid off the throne and make the leader of your life Jesus. Can I get an amen? So Bill Tweed had to get off the throne, and I had to put Jesus Christ on that throne. So I had a new leader who would lead my life, and that's how was the first step against saved. Then secondly... To maintain that, I had to have a new law. The law wasn't me first, do as I will. The law has to be love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. They had to get a new law, and the new law was the law of love. And when I follow the law of love, I'll fulfill all the laws of the Ten Commandments. Can I get an amen? If I'm walking in love, I won't cheat on, uh, and, and try to have adultery with somebody's wife. I won't try to steal from them. I won't covet their goods. I won't go before God and say, I want an idol. I'm going to worship and bow down and make an idol and worship somebody else. And, and I won't make uh, these things that, that make me an enemy of God. 
but I will have a new set of laws, and that law is the law of love. So for me to make Jesus Lord, I got to have a new what? A new leader. Everybody say, I need a new leader. Jesus. And I need a new law. Everybody say, and I need a new law. Love. That's all you got to do to make Jesus Lord. New leader, you do what Jesus says now. And a new law, a way of living that governs everything that you do. A new leader, which is a new Lord, and a new law. I got a new Lord, and I got a new law, and I'm saved. Well, how does a nation, how does a nation make Jesus Lord? Godly leaders and godly laws. Somebody say amen. Amen. Turn your neighbor and say, by a godly leader and by godly laws. And godly leaders make godly laws. That's why it says in Exodus 18, 21, choose you, and he's talking about choosing your leaders, choose you out from among you, able men that are men of truth, fear God, and hate covetousness. In other words, when you choose your leaders, God commands us to choose our leaders, and he commands us to choose godly leaders to place over us, and then he commands that they decentralize the government and then put them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That's the first Republican government of county, state, federal, and so on and so forth. So when you make Jesus Lord over a nation, you've got to choose godly leaders. And then secondly, you've got to have godly laws. But godly leaders are the ones who make the godly laws. So it's important, if we got to have godly leaders in our land, where we make Jesus Lord, because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. How do we make Jesus Lord? Oh, we have godly leaders, and we vote them in, and they make godly laws that honor God. That's how we make Jesus Lord over our nation. Is anybody getting this? That's why, Pastor Bill, is that why it's so important to vote? Yes. That's why it's important to find out what these guys really believe instead of what they say. Yeah, you got to find out what their voting record is. We're talking about the 4th of July and the formation of nations and why some nations fall to the wayside. And why some nations can go 200 years successfully because their constitution is based on the Bible. And because most people are Christians. And they walk in love and they choose goodly leaders. But in recent days, our nation's going downhill. I don't know if I can be very patriotic. I want to be. I want to be patriotic to a godly nation whose God is the Lord. Because we've got godly leaders that we put on the throne of power, who make godly laws, who honor God in everything that we do. We don't sin and bring, bring judgment on ourselves. We're talking about 4th of July. We became a nation hundreds of years ago. And now a lot of things are happening. We're saying gay marriage is okay, the judges. We're saying it's okay to kill babies in the womb. We're saying it's okay to blaspheme God. But I got news for you. It's not okay. And we need to do some things. 
And the power when a nation lives godly is more of a witness than when this church lives godly. You affect more people on a world scale when a nation lives godly. And you can have more influence on the world scale with a nation than any church, than any family, or any individual. They said, well, where is that in the Bible? I'm so glad that you asked. Let's go to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. I call it national evangelism of the influence that a nation can have on the world platform. This is a very, very powerful portion of Scripture I want to share with you today. Deuteronomy 4. Moses is talking. Look what it says. Well, God is talking. Deuteronomy 4, verses 4 through 8. It says, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments. Everybody say statutes and judgments. In other words, the law. Their law. The law of their land. Even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land whether you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding. You might as well say it's our culture. It's our wisdom and our understanding in the sight of the nations. He said, make your laws biblical because this is going to be your wisdom and your understanding, not in the sight of churches, not in the sight of individuals, but when you do this, when you live by the Bible, it's going to be our understanding, our wisdom in the sight of the nations. See, America made their laws according to the laws of God, the Bible. And our wisdom and our understanding was such that the rest of the world said there's never been a nation like America. 4% of the people controlling 85% of the finances. The most powerful nation. The best best military in the world. The longest standing constitution. 90% of the missionaries funded by America. Everybody used to come to America to borrow money, and we never made them pay it back. Anybody that was decimated by war, America went in and rebuilt it. America is the only nation that dealt with their problem of slavery. Slavery comes from the Muslims. The Muslims sold the blacks into slavery. America committed that sin, but one thing about America is they at least legislated against that sin when they realized, and they had a civil war over that sin, and they paid a heavy price for that sin, and they got humbled and repented and changed their laws concerning that sin. Can I get an amen? It still isn't perfect by a long ways. But we're the only country that's ever done anything about it. Well, Britain did too. And we're that country that made its laws, and it was the preachers and the churches that spoke up and said, we need to change these laws about slavery. It was the people who wanted God's laws written into the laws of the land. Can I get an amen? And the rest of the world saw it. And the rest of the world saw America as a light shining on a hill. And the rest of the world 
everybody wanted to come to America and the immigration and we can't, we can't control our borders in Mexico and, and there's thousands coming in and, and most countries they're trying to flee from, but America they're trying to flee to. Why? Because of what this verse of Scripture says. Because when you make your laws, make them according to my statutes and my ordinances. For it is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Well, they aren't any wiser than the rest, they just follow the Bible. There's no such thing as American exceptionalism. It's biblical exceptionalism. Of a nation that built their laws in the word of God. And I can prove that. And then they'll say, this is such a wise and understanding people. For what nation is so great who hath God so near unto them? And the rest of the world say, well, God's on their side. Well, how does that work? Well, that's not fair. Well, that's because we chose to be on God's side. Draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. You get on God's side and he'll be on your side because you only chose to be on his side. And they will say, the rest of the nations, not churches, not individuals, the nations will say. And you know, the rest of the nations are jealous of America. How many of you know that? You know, the rest of the nations would like to kill us. You know, the rest of the nations want what we have vehemently. And the rest of the nations love it when bad things happen. Not all of them, but a lot of them do in America. They love it that they're seeing us decline, and now China is the world power in economics, and we're second. Our military is being gutted. It isn't a... a black-white issue. It isn't a Republican-Democrat issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's about not understanding what God's purpose for a nation is. Purpose for a, a man, a single person, is to be a witness. A, sing, a, a purpose for a family is to be a witness. The purpose for a church is to be a witness. And the purpose for a nation is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and to go into all the world and preach the gospel so that people can be saved. And there is such a thing as a national witness. And we just read about it right here. For that nation is so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all the things that we can call upon him for. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments? In other words, the word of God. So righteous as all this law which I set before you this day. Wow. See, our patriotism is only to the degree that we stay with God's laws and God's leaders. I can't be patriotic to something that's against God, can you? God formed these nations. God formed our nation to be a blessing. But the nation that we have to be completely faithful to is the one I'm going to read about next. Turn in your Bibles to 21 24. We're going to 21 verse 4, excuse me. Matthew 21 verse 4. Matthew 21 verse 4. We're going to close on these verses of scripture. 
21 verse 4, it says, And all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Oh, wait a minute. I'm in the wrong. I got the wrong verse. I'm going to, I'm going to, I mistranscribed the verse. Let me just read it to you off of my notes. God formed the body of Christ to be the holy nation Israel failed to be. He said, I have forsaken you for a nation that did not seek me. How many of you know God took away the responsibility of salvation from the Jews and he gave it to the Gentiles? How many of you know there's two or three scriptures that tell us that? There's a book In the book of Romans, in the book of Matthew, it tells us that he no longer was going to use the Jews to bring salvation to the world, but he was going to use a nation that was not a nation, a nation that didn't even seek after him, and he was going to form a nation out of the Gentiles, out of all the nations. And that nation was going to be formed by God. And Peter tells us about that nation. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, it says, For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, God has formed physical nations. God formed the nation of Israel. But in these last days, God is forming a nation. And that nation is the body of Christ, just like Israel was a nation. And God has cut down the dividing wall, and all ethnos in the the Greek has become one, it says. And we are that holy nation, that we make Jesus Lord, and that we are a light, and that we've got a call to be a witness to the rest of the world. And I believe this, God still wants to have nations be godly, but when all the nations go bad, when all the nations go sour, when all the nations turn against God, when all the nations go to destroy Israel at the Battle of Armageddon, when all in the last times there's only going to be two nations left, and that's going to be the nation of Israel, and even they will be engrafted, and they will become one with the nation that he's talking about in Peter, that holy nation, the body of Christ, and we become one nation. And it's only that nation that brings salvation to the rest of the world when all the other nations become apostated. Let's stand up, and we'll be, we're going to close here. Amen. Anybody get anything out of this this morning? It's important that we understand these things that we get involved and engaged in making Jesus, maintaining Jesus to be Lord over our nation as long as we can. Can I get an amen? God wants us to keep Jesus Lord in this nation as long as we can by choosing godly leaders who will make godly laws. Just like when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you've got a godly leader, and you go by a godly law based in love. And we really need to make all of our laws ultimately based in love for our fellow man. Amen.